0: Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. We are a multi-site church based in the Bay Area and online. You can find more information by going to brave.church. Now thanks for joining us. We hope this talk helps you find and follow Jesus.
1: Well, hey everybody, welcome to Brave. How you doing? All right. Hey, my name is Pastor Samuel. I have the honor of serving as our lead pastor here. I want to welcome everyone here in San Ramon, in Dublin, online. You guys are awesome. It's going to be a great morning. We have a guest speaker with us today. I'll tell you a little bit about him in a minute, but I thought it would be really cool just to kick things off sharing some recent wins. Do you guys want to hear some wins? Because we got a lot to celebrate. And you know, the first few they're numbers-based, and I just want to know, in case you're new or you haven't been around, one of the, the only reason we care about numbers around here is they represent people, and so we've got some amazing stuff that we can celebrate of what God's doing in people's lives. Last Sunday, on campus, Dublin and San Ramon, we served over 1,000 people. Isn't that amazing? And 30 people decided to follow Jesus for the first time, and that's two weeks before Easter. So we gotta, we're going to have an amazing Baptism Sunday, you guys. Don't miss the Sunday after Easter. We're kicking off our new teaching series in the book of James. It's going to be great. And then also, uh, we're going to be giving next week... On Easter, we're going to give a sneak peek of our new Brave Kids spaces that we're going to be, we're going to show renderings and photos, what it's going to look like here in San Ramon, what it's going to look like in Dublin. We're super excited because these spaces are really where the next generation of the church is being raised up and introduced to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, Pastor Jason Laird is with us today, and he has become just one of my best friends, great friend, but also he's come alongside our team and our staff during all of this transition and just been an incredible source of wisdom, coaching, mentorship, and so you guys are in for a good one. Let's welcome Pastor Jason as he comes.
0: Come on, I want you to give Jesus your best praise. Come on. Yeah, man, it is so good to be. I'm gonna say this back home. It's so good to be back home here at Brave. I'm like your crazy uncle, okay? That that now lives in the South. Matter of fact, can we practice this really quick? And you know, here I lived here for about four four years or so, and I learned a lot of things that are part of the culture of the Bay, which I love, and I carry that with me. Which, by the way, I'm still a Golden State Warriors fan. We need to pray for Curry right now. But um, um, there's now I'm back in the South, and they. They talk a little bit different from us here in the Bay Area, okay? There's a little bit of a draw and a twang, but they say this phrase. Like, here we say, you all. There they say, y'all. Can you, tr- can you just try that really quick? Y'all. How y'all doing? It's just like, that's just what they say. But anyway, it's good to be back here in the Bay Area. I love every time I get to be here. I'm here probably once a quarter, and uh, it's so good to be here at Brave Church. I love your church. I love you. Uh, you know, the brick and mortar, you know, the spaces that we have uh, here at this location our the location. Uh, it's amazing. God has really blessed us with resources, but what I'm the most impressed and inspired by is not bricks and mortar. It's not the places, the people, it's you. And so I just want to tell you, I love you church. Uh, I, I really do feel like this is part of my church home. Uh, every Monday, guess guess where I go to church? Every Monday morning, I go to Brave Church. Okay, I watch Brave online every single morning. You can ask your pastors, and uh, then we talk about it on Tuesday. And uh, I just want to tell you, I love you. Uh, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the work of the Lord in you, through you, what God's doing in this city, in this region. I believe that there are even greater days in front of you, and uh, you have rich history, rich heritage. And uh, we celebrate it. We honor it. We honor all that have, that have gone before us. You see, right now, you're sitting in someone else's sacrifice. You are. There are people that have paved the way and sacrificed and given and prayed so that we could have what we have here. And we honor the past. But listen to me. There was a statement that I think it was Andy Stanley, a pastor, said one time. He said, when your memories are bigger than your dreams, the end is near. I'm so thankful that you guys have a rich history. But guess what? Our vision for what's to come, our dreams that God's put in our heart, the leadership of this church, listen, they're greater. There are greater days. There are greater things. There are more campuses. There are more services. Some of you get nervous when I say that. But listen, there are more people to reach for Jesus, right? Amen? There are people that we want to help find and follow Jesus. And, uh, and I just want to tell you, I love you. And uh, I'm so thankful for you, Pastor Samuel. You know, now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a part of a few different things. Uh, I've been in ministry now for 21 years, 22 years now. And, uh, and I've been a youth pastor, young adult pastor, teaching pastor, executive pastor, all these different things. Um, and then I moved here and planted a church about four or five years ago. And so it was a part of pioneering a new church. And really, I learned in that process that I love coming alongside church planners, which, by the way, one of the organizations that I train church planners with, uh, you guys support. And I want to say thank you for that. Um, this organization, ARC, uh, we planted 1,040 churches to date. And, yeah, you can clap your hands on that. And uh, we just trained uh, 100 church planters about three weeks ago, and when you guys give a portion of, of what you give, it goes every year. It goes towards us planting more life-giving churches like Brave in North America, and so I want to say thank you for your generosity. But I get to help with, with training church planters. I get to go and, and preach for friends on the weekend, and that's fun. Uh, I have a company called Sidecar Leader that does con- some consulting and, and coaching for, for church leadership. Uh, But I I mean this when I say this. Out of all those things I get to do, and I love them all, and I feel like God's called me to do all those things, the thing that's bringing me the most joy right now, you know what it is? It's coming alongside your lead pastor and the leadership team here to serve you. And I just want to tell you thank you for giving me that opportunity. I don't know how long that will be. It's as long as you'll keep me. uh, But I love you, and I'm so thankful. Thank you, man, just for letting me come alongside what God's doing in you guys. I love you and Marcy. And uh, I'm so excited for what's to come. Well, I bring greetings on behalf of my family. They're, obviously, they, they're back home, uh, and they had, they had some, some responsibilities this weekend, so they couldn't be here. We're trying to plan a trip in July where we'll get to all come back out here again. Uh, but my wife, Jennifer, and I, we've been married now for, it'll be 17 years in May. And yeah, and uh, 22 years. We started dating like 22, 23 years ago. And we have three beautiful kids, uh, two boys, 12 and 9. And then we have a little girl that has stolen my heart. Her name is Novi Sophia. We named her after Novi, N-O-V-Y, is after Novi Valley in San Francisco. Uh, and, and it's just, so there's a little bit of our heart. We've left it here in San Francisco, right, in the Bay Area. And, uh, but anyway, I bring greetings on behalf of my family. And uh, hopefully they'll get to come and meet you guys. You'll get to meet them. But we're going to jump into the Word of God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go with me over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7, at all of our campuses. Uh, I do want to draw your attention to this one more time, and it, it is really important. Uh, Easter, you know, Easter fest, and then Easter Sunday. I just want to tell you, the power of invitation is is remarkable, and, and I just want to encourage you to be at the serve event. Let's serve our city. Listen, if it's our city, it's our responsibility. Amen. And, and God's placed us here. He's not, he's, we're not stuck here. We're stationed here in this city as followers of Jesus, called and anointed by him to establish his kingdom in the earth today. His, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in, in San Ramon and Dublin, in this region. And God, think about this, God partners with us. To, to help other people come into a relationship with him. There's nothing greater than that. There's no greater partnership. Like if, 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 if like Mark Zuckerberg called you and said, I want you to be my 50-50 partner, like that's not even as good of a partnership as getting to partner with God. Now there's a lot of resources there, but how many know there's more resources in heaven? In Jesus' name. But um, it's a great partnership. You and I get to be used by God. So you can come and serve, but, but I wanna encourage you. Let's invite people to Easter Sunday. Here's one reason why. Pastor Samuel's going to preach the best message you've ever heard. No pressure. no pressure at all. Uh, worship's going to be amazing, but there's going to be an atmosphere here, an environment here where people will be able to come in and experience the presence of God and experience the grace of Jesus and, and hear the gospel presented in a very clear and compelling way, and listen to me. There's nothing greater than this. trust me, that you have friends or family members or coworkers that they don't go to church. They're not followers of Jesus. But statistics have proven to us, Barna Research has done it, that the, the, the greatest time where people are the most open to coming to church is, is Easter. It's like our Super Bowl, okay? It's, it's Easter Sunday. Now, listen to me. There's nothing greater than this. You invite someone. Maybe it's a prodigal son or daughter. Uh, maybe it's a family member or a co-worker. And they come here. They're going to be nervous, by the way. They're gonna be nervous because they don't know what to expect. Are these gonna be a bunch of crazy people here? Like, what do we expect? They're gonna come in, they're gonna sit by you, and you're not gonna be you're gonna be thinking this. I hope that Pastor Samuel does a good job. I hope that, man, oh, don't sing that song. I don't like that song. That's kind of a weird song. You know, you're gonna be all those things. You're not even gonna be listening to the message or listening to worship. You're just wondering, what do they think? What do they think? And Pastor Samuel's gonna talk about Jesus, and he's gonna, he's gonna share the gospel. And at the close of service, he's going to say, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around. And you're going to keep one eye open. This is the one Sunday. We're going to let you keep one eye open to look at the person you brought, and your heart's going to start beating fast. And you're going to be thinking, I wonder what they're thinking. And if you see them lift their hand or however they respond to you, it'll all be worth it. However uncomfortable it is to invite someone to come to church or to, to share your faith or whatever, it's all worth it when you see someone come to faith in Jesus and their life transformed. And so I just encourage you today, just from a pastor to a group of people, let's, let's be a bringer. Let's invite people to Easter Sunday. Amen? How many are going to invite at least five people? Okay, 14 of you. The rest of you, we'll be praying for you this week that God will convict your heart. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Uh, let's, let's look at Luke chapter 7. We're in this We're in this series of teachings called What Jesus Stood For. And we've been talking about a lot of different things that Jesus stood for. Because the reality is, is that the church today, the modern day church, many times, you know, we're giving Jesus some bad PR because we are typically known for what we're against and what we stand against rather than what we stand for. Now, make no mistake about it. We, as the people of God, we should have beliefs and we should have convictions and we should stand firm in those convictions and and we should possess those. But we, we as a community, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus in the earth today, we need to, man, I feel like we got to do a better job of letting a lost and dying world know what Jesus actually stood for. Because we have to understand that the onus and the responsibility is on us as now the physical representation of Jesus Christ in the earth today. We are the church, the body of Christ. We represent the hands, the feet, and the heart of Jesus in this lost and dying world. And so we need to know, what did he stand for? Because if we know what he stood for, we can be aligned with his mission and we can stand for those things. And so we've been talking about that for the last few weeks. I wanna read you a few verses from chapter seven in the Gospel of Luke, starting at verse 33. We'll read a few verses, and then we're gonna come back to a story that happens right on the hills of this statement. Some religious people were talking bad about Jesus, trying to discredit him, saying things to Call into question his character uh, and his conduct. And to really discredit him, his influence within a community, he's now building momentum in, in, in the city and in the cities around. And, and, and crowds are flocking around him. People are so attracted to him, wanting to be I mean, literally thousands and thousands of people are being drawn to him. And so the religious leaders of his day, they wanted to discredit him. And uh, they would they would call him this phrase. It was sort of, it became his street name. And I think they wanted to make him mad, but I think he actually loved it. And it's one of his names that I actually love. I mean, we love the Prince of Peace. We love Son of God. We love Son of Man. We love the Good Shepherd, but I love this one. Look at this. Jesus says this in response to his critics. He says, for John the Baptist, he he didn't spend any time eating bread or drinking wine. And you say he's possessed by a demon. But the Son of Man, referring to himself, the Son of Man, on the other hand, he feasts and he drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard. And a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. He's a friend of sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. In other words, he's saying, my actions speak for the type of man that I am. And the phrase that I want us to lean into is this, is that Jesus stood for sinners. Jesus stood for sinners. Now, some of you are kind of squirming a little bit at that. You're like, I'm not a sinner, I'm a saint. Listen, aren't you thankful Aren't you thankful that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future by the grace of God because of Jesus? But make no mistake about it. We're all, we're all sinners. Romans 3 says it, for everyone has sinned, and falls short of the glory of God. So let me just liberate you right now. Just say this, say, say, look at the person sitting next to you, say, I'm a sinner. It's true, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Look at the other person and tell them, say, I know you're a sinner. I know you are. I can tell. Got it all over you. I think, that, I think that we like to think that we just make mistakes. But the Bible doesn't say we're mistakers. It says we're sinners. A mistake is when you forget to put the decimal in the right spot. But not, not what we've done, not what we do at times. We're sinners. We're not bad. Well, listen to me. We're not good people that occasionally do bad. We're actually bad people that occasionally do good. We're actually natural-born sinners. Have you ever noticed that? All the parents in here, the, did anybody have to teach your kids to be the way that they act sometimes? No. It's, it's, it's natural. It's by nature. We have a sinful nature, and we have a proclivity towards sin, which is simply missing the mark from what, what God has called us to do and to be as humans. And the Bible says that we're all sinners. So when I say that Jesus stood for sinners, that's good news for you, and that's good news for me because we've all sinned. And we all fall in that same category. It's not just those people that live across the tracks and down the street. It's you, it's me. We're all sinners. We're bad people that occasionally do good. But thank God for a savior. I love it because this encourages us that we, 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 should, we should have a heart. If Jesus had a heart to stand for and to stand with sinners, we should maybe be the same, right? Make no mistake about it, Jesus did not stand for sin, but he stood for sinners. He did not stand for sin, but he stood for sinners. Write this down. Jesus was a friend of sinners, and yet he never sacrificed the content of his character or the clarity of his message. We live in a culture where where many churches are sacrificing the content of the character of their local church and sacrificing the clarity of their message under the banner of grace. But that's not really grace at all. You see, Jesus in John chapter 1, it says when he came down to the earth, it says he was both filled with grace and truth. So grace and truth are not in competition. They actually complement one another, and he was the personification fully of grace and fully of truth. Let me give you a picture of that. You see, church for many years in many places, especially where I live in the south, very religious people, very religious, very dogmatic at times about many things, A lot of times churches have have had a posture towards sinners or those that are outside of the church like this. Imagine two hands up. And here's what that that picture is. We don't want your sin, and we don't want you in this place until you clean yourself up. And that's been the posture that has, has caused so much hurt and pain in sinners. And then the pendulum swings under the banner of grace or inclusivity, and then we do this. We accept all people and all things and all lifestyles and we open our arms wide and it sounds noble and and at least it sounds better than this. One sounds like rejection completely and the other sounds like acceptance completely. One seems like it's more like Jesus, but it's just a distortion of the truth because the Bible says that Jesus was both grace and truth. And so the better picture is this, is an open, open arm, welcoming all sinners. Come, you have a seat at the table. It is radical acceptance. But it's also radical truth, one hand up and one hand open. We welcome all people, though we cannot welcome all things. That's why Jesus could look at the woman caught in adultery and says, young lady, go and sin no more. He called it what it was. He both radically accepted her and radically rejected the thing that was causing her so much brokenness and pain. What would it look like if a church could be like that? I think about a time I was flying back from a ministry trip in the Dominican Republic. I was 25 years old. I landed in New York, and my flight got stuck there. It was a bad snowstorm. I literally only had clothes for the Dominican, so I'm like, I have shorts on, and it's like snowing like a foot. (laughs) I have flip-flops on. I mean, I'm looking like an old missionary, and I get a cab, and I jump in, and, and it was one of the most memorable moments, like, I get in this cab, and it was a little muggy in the cab. had The heat turned up really, really high. And, and I said, hey, man, how are you doing? You know, I was just excited to be in New York my first time there. I've, like, tucked my wallet, like, in my shirt thinking, I don't want anybody to rob me. It's a big city. i would never been there. <laughs> so dumb. And, and I remember I said, hey, man, how are you doing? He goes, I'm doing pretty good today, man. And I said, oh, man, this guy's accent's awesome. He goes, you guys are not from around here, right? And I was like, nope, but I know you are. And he said, what's your name? I said, Jason. He goes, you sound like you're from the south. I said, yeah. And I said, what about yours? He said, mm, my name's Frankie. Frankie from the Bronx. <laughs> we start chatting, and, uh, and he says, tell me, where are you guys coming from? And we tell him from the Dominican. He's like, oh, I love the Dominican. What are you doing in the Dominican? And I said, well, we're actually ministers. We're pastors. And, and as soon as I said that, it was like something in the car shifted. It wasn't the climate of the car, but there was something in the atmosphere. It was tangible. You could feel it. And he said, I have a little story about the church. And in that moment, I braced myself. Right, Even living in the Bay Area, like I was afraid sometimes to tell people on my street that I was a pastor because they looked, like, looked at me like I was an alien. And I knew there's something that's about to come out of his mouth that I don't know if I really want to hear. And he, said, he starts to tell his story, and he says, you know, for years, I think he said 10, 15 years because I was addicted to heroin and I lost my wife, lost my kids, lost my job, lost everything. And I started living on the streets. He said, I completely was strung out and my life was a mess. He said, and I wanted to change so bad, but I just did not have the willpower to do it. And I got to the end of myself. And he said, I just decided I need a change. And at, the, at, the, at just that moment, someone was passing by him and invited him to go to this church. So he goes to this church. And he said, it was unbelievable. I walked in and the people were so nice. And he said, I sat down and I could not stop crying. The message was was being taught. And he said, I just knew there was something. I didn't really hear what he was saying, but I could hear something in my heart. And I just, I knew I needed to give my life to Jesus. He said, I did not even wait for the altar call. I just ran down to the front, ran down to the front and he fell on his knees. And he said, I hadn't bathed in days. I smelled terrible. My clothes were tattered and my beard was all grown out. And he said, and these people, they they told me about Jesus, and I gave my life to Jesus. He said, and after a few days, I relapsed. And I found myself back on the streets for a few weeks. And again, I hit rock bottom, and I thought, I got to go back to that place. I got to go, but I don't want to go. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? So he goes back into the church, and he said, unlike last time, he said, the way that they looked at me, I felt so dirty, so unclean. He said, they actually escorted me out. He said, for the next 15 years, I was strung out on the streets. Life was so broken. Finally, my third time hit rock bottom, and he said, I, I, got, I need my life to change or I'm going to die. And he said, but I'm, there's no way I'm going back to that place. So he started going to N.A., to Narcotics Anonymous. And he said over the next couple of years, he, he struggled with relapsing, going back, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He said, but N.A. was different. He said, unlike the church, he said, every time I fell on my face, they didn't point their fingers at me. They actually surrounded me. They put chairs around me, and they would weep with me and cry with me and pray with me. And he said, I've now been clean for five, six years, whatever the number was. And this is what he said. He said, maybe if the church was more like N.A., I'd be there today. I was so embarrassed to be a pastor. I was embarrassed to be a Christian in that moment, to to be candid. And I had this thought, I was like, what is it about Jesus that the people that were nothing like him, they actually liked him? And now in the modern day church, the people that are nothing like spiritual people or religious people or nothing like Jesus at all, they don't want anything to do with the church. There's some chasm, there's some gap. We're missing the mark here. As the church, we should be the physical representation of both grace and truth, but my fear is that oftentimes we hold so hard to truth, we abandon grace. You see, I heard somebody say one time. There's these three things as a church. We look down through history. We have dogma, um, we have doctrine, and we have we have um, we have disagreements. Dogma is where we get the word dogmatic, right? These are things that that we believe that we will die on this hill. This is our dogma, and we should have those things. Things like Jesus was the Son of God, the gospel. It's, in, it's faith alone in Christ Jesus. It's grace alone. Script, uh, sola Scriptura. It's the scripture alone. There are, there are things that are dogma that we just, we, we, we say, we will lay our life down for this. There are martyrs that have died for these things. That it's dogma. But then there's doctrine. And these are things, unfortunately, that we, we divide over. They're not things we should die over and, you know, or kill our relationships over. But there are things that we may divide over. And then there's disagreements. These things that we just discuss about them. The problem is the church has made everything dogma. We no longer we no longer can just say, this is what we believe and we're in this camp and you're there. We no longer can have discussion. We, we die on the hill of everything and in it we're killing a lost group of people that are dying and going to hell. When instead we should be filled with truth but also filled with grace. And Jesus was the personification of this. I love it because you'd think that after Luke says that Jesus is being discredited with this phrase friend of sinners that that Luke would try to prove that he, oh, he's not a friend of sinners. But the very next story actually just exacerbates this street name that they've given him. It, It goes like this in verse 36. Afterward, after Jesus says this, that they call me a friend of sinners, afterward, a Jewish religious leader named Simon, he's a religious guy, he asked Jesus to come to his home for dinner, a little dinner party. Jesus accepted the invitation, and when he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an expensive flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, unannounced and uninvited. She went right into his home. And she kneels at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with her tears and fell on her face. She, she kept crying and crying and then drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask of anoint and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. When Simon saw, What was happening, he thought, he didn't say, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. I want you to get this picture. This is like the Greco-Roman symposium style dinner where there's a long dinner that's followed by a long conversation. And they're semi-recumbent kind of leaning towards the table like this with their feet behind them. And this conversation is happening and there, there are other guests, it appears, that are in the room, but it's a religious leader. This religious man, Simon, and Jesus are having this discourse back and forth. We don't know what they're talking about. Maybe they're talking about who gets to sit at the table. Maybe they're talking about who does God truly accept. What do you have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? I don't know what the conversation is. But in the middle of the moment, a woman that is notorious for her, for her things that she does in the streets unannounced, uninvited, she rolls up into the dinner party. Can you imagine what that room must have felt like? I mean, just get this picture. Pastor Samuel, we don't under, I don't think we fully, when we read it, we don't understand how scandalous this is. Imagine if Pastor Samuel invited me, the guest speaker, to a dinner on Saturday night, and then invited some of you over to his house. He's the host, I'm the guest, the guest preacher in town, and, I, you know, I hate making Pastor Samuel the host uh, because the guy's the bad guy on the party. We'll make Pastor Chris the host. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Pastor Chris. And, and we're in the middle of talking about what I'm going to be teaching tomorrow. And we've just had this beautiful, beautiful dinner, some fish and bread and wine. Other people are sitting all around, not saying anything, maybe even taking notes, just listening and leaning in. And all of a sudden, the door opens, and this woman who is known to be a harlot, to be a prostitute, walks in. And everyone knows she's notorious in the city. She's notorious. She walks in. The conversation comes to a screeching halt. I imagine Simon's like, oh, God, what is happening? Who invited her? Oh, my, he's just freaking out in this moment, getting nervous. And she comes to the feet of Jesus behind him, and and she begins to just weep and cry and her tears. They will not stop. They're unrestrained, and they're falling on his feet. The Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus continues talking, or Simon. Imagine how awkward this moment is. It's such an awkward moment. And she's crying. She lets down her hair, which in ancient Eastern culture, only a woman would do that in the bedroom. She lets down her hair and she begins to weep and cry and she's, she begins to dry off his feet. She's cleaning his feet. And then she starts, she starts kissing his feet. The Bible says she, 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 she kept kissing his feet. Most scholars believe that because of her past, she does not really know how to appropriately interact and relate to men. This is all that she knows. She's doing her very best to express Adoration and devotion and love. And Jesus doesn't stop her. No one stops her. She's just weeping and crying. And then she takes out this alabaster jar. It's it's a year's worth of of wage to purchase this. She takes probably all the money that she has and she begins to pour it on Jesus' feet, anointing him. Most scholars say that this probably happened on Monday of Passion Week, just days before Jesus would go to the cross. He's anointed and, 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 cleans- and washed and, and loved by this person that's very broken in this moment. And then this religious guy, Simon, he doesn't even say anything. He just has the thought. How gangster is Jesus that he just turns to him and says, I have a word with you. I love Jesus. He goes on and he looks at him. Where's my text at? He says, Simon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it. I just hear the tone of arrogance, religiosity, and self-righteousness. Go ahead. I want to hear it. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt, Jesus says. One owed the bank $100,000, and the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon. Tell me. Which of, these, which of the two debtors would be the most thankful? Which one would love the banker the most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Don't you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't even bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet, which was a custom. He says, yet she came into your home, and she's washed my feet with her many tears, and then she dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with a customary kiss of greeting, but from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and my feet. With the finest perfume, she has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me so much extravagant love. But those who assume, those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love very much. You see, you know what this teaches us? There's a couple of things. One is that grace makes space for sinners at the table. When Jesus stood up for her in this moment, he's saying, I make space at my table for people like this. Which by the way, When he begins to address Simon, he's talking to him, and then he turns his back, still talking to him. Read the text. He turns his back. Now, Simon is staring at the back of Jesus, and he's now looking face to face with this woman. This is what that would communicate in this particular time. It's a gesture of rejection and acceptance. When you turn your back to someone in the middle of a conversation, you're saying, I reject you you know what he's doing? He's rejecting the attitude of Simon's heart towards broken people. And he turns his face to this woman and he's looking at her and he's like, do you not see this woman here? He's showing her radical grace in this moment. He makes space for her at this table. But the second thing it teaches us is this. You know why religious people get so mad about about people getting grace? It's because they assume that they don't need it. He's making an assumption about this woman, and he, number one, assumes that she's worse than what she really is, and he assumes that he's better than what he really is. And he thinks that he's calling Jesus into account, what type of man are you? And really, Jesus flips it on and says, the the person that is in question here is not me, it's actually you. Your heart is religious, and you don't really care about broken people. I remember years ago, I was about to leave to go on another ministry trip, and I was young, it's amazing the lessons that you learn when you're young and stupid, right? The older you get, the more you realize you need more grace than what you ever thought and that you were not as smart as what you ever thought. But I was young, and I, I actually was pretty religious. And I remember I was about to go on this ministry trip. I had just recently become a pastor. I was a youth pastor. And it was back in the day when, when, when restaurants, there were some you could still smoke in, Right? And it was at Buffalo Wild Wings, and half of the restaurant was restaurant, and the other half was the bar with all the TVs, and you could, you could smoke cigarettes in there and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, so we sat on the, on the non-irreligious you know irreligious side, and we're sitting over there, and there's a group of girls at the bar, a group of ladies. And they kept looking at us, and they kept making gestures towards us to come over there to them. And I remember thinking, I can't be caught over there in the bar. I'm a, I'm, 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 I'm a pastor. You know, I'm like, you know, that's what religious people do. And I remember thinking, I, I don't want to go over there. I don't want. What if somebody sees me? I'm a pastor. What if somebody from the church is here? Oh my God, what are they going to think if I'm at the bar about talking to some ladies? And I was so stressed out about it. And, and then the Lord began to speak to me. and said, I want you, to, I want you to, to talk to her. Talk to that group of ladies. And I was like, oh, that can't be the Lord. I bind you, devil, in Jesus' name. <laughs> And so one of my friends, Mike, Mike, Mike Haviland, Mike said, he says, hey, guys, you see that group of ladies over there? I said, yeah. He goes, the Lord just spoke to my heart. I think we're supposed to talk to them and tell them about Jesus. And I was like, oh, man, now God's speaking to the other guys, too. We're in trouble here. And literally, I get chosen to be the, the you know, the person to bear the good news to these ladies. I, I started stressing out. I'm getting anxious. I go to the bathroom. It's like my prayer closet. You know, I go to the restroom. I'm like praying, God, what do you want to say? Give me a word. Give me a word. And I felt like the Lord said, Jason, quit making this so complicated. He was like, just go up to that young lady and tell her that there's a man in this restaurant that's had his eye on her all night. And go tell tell her that there's a man that knows the worst about her but still believes the best in her. I remember God was just like, stop being religious, just go be me. Remember what, what it was like when I showed you grace, Jason? Just go do that. I walk into the bar area. I'm like walking past the table. All my friends are like, you've got this. I walk in there and this lady, this lady turned around and she's like, I knew you would come in here. She's just like, <sighs> yeah. I'm like swimming through a cloud of smoke and. And I look at her and she's, she's, we start talking and I said, you know what, what's your name? She said, my name's Rebecca. And I said, oh, that's awesome. So Rebecca, I was like, there's, there's, a, there's someone here that there's a man in here that wanted me to come in, and give you a message, relay a message. She's like, where is he? Who is he? Is it the guy over there? Is it, the one on the left? And I was like, no, no, not him, not him, not him. Not those guys. I was like, there's another man in, in, in the restaurant and he wanted me to give you a message. She said, what, is, what does he want to tell me? And I said, he wanted me to tell you that there's a seat at his table for you. And I said, he wanted me to tell you that he's had his eye on you for a long time. He wanted me to tell you that he knows all the things that have been a part of your past up until this point. He wanted me to tell you that he knows that you, you don't feel like you deserve anyone's love. And at this moment, tears begin to stream down her face she puts her cigarette out and she leans in and she said who what who what are you and I said Rebecca I said that man's name is Jesus and you've been running from him for a long time but he wants you to know there's a seat at his table for you if there's a place in your heart for him And she just said, she looked at me. She said, I have to get out of here. Can we go outside and talk? So we walk outside and my friends come out there with me and we're standing there. And I just begin to share with her my story of how I ran from God for a long, long time. I begin to medicate the pain of my own life, substance abuse and inappropriate relationships. And and I grew up in church. I tell her, I was like, I grew up in church, but church hurt me. Pastors hurt me, spiritual leaders hurt me. And I didn't want to have anything to do with that anymore. If God would let people like that be Christians, I don't want to be a Christian because they're mean. They're judgmental. They're rude. And I'm just telling her this. And I said, so I ran from God for about five or six years. And I said, you know what? I still was empty. I still was broken. And I just told, I said, I, I went to my mom's apartment. I got down on my knees and I read the scripture that says in first Peter for he ransomed you from an empty life. He paid for you not with silver and gold, but with the precious, priceless blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. I told her I said, "You've been living an empty life. I know I've been there before, but you don't have to be empty no more." Do you know that that night in Buffalo Wings parking lot, she gave her life to Jesus. Isn't that unbelievable? And I got in my car. here's what I'm saying this: I got in my car, I drove off. I felt so alive. It was greater than any sermon I'd ever preached up until that point. It, it was greater than any sermon I've preached now. To be partner, a partner with God in the gospel of grace, to, walk past, to break the rules and to walk past any line that all the religious restraints hold us back, and to be able to be used by God to show someone the grace of God, the love of God, it was unbelievable. And I, I told the Lord, I said, will you allow me to be a part of that for the rest of my life? And here's what he said. The only thing that will keep you from doing that is you. He was like, Jason, you got to stop being so judgmental and religious. You have, this is what he told me, you have forgotten how messed up you were when I saved you. You, you. you were forgiven much, Jason. And I just made a decision that night. I'm never going to judge anybody again. I'm, I'm going to try my best not to be religious and, and prejudiced towards people because of they don't look like me or act like me or think like me. I'm just going to choose grace. I want to be guilty of grace. If I want to be guilty of something, I want to be guilty of grace towards people in Jesus' name. That's what the decision I made that night. The final thing I tell you is this. It's from that text. Here's what it tells me. The grace, it gives us hope that we can have a fresh start no matter how bad and broken our past is. And some of you are in here today and you're like, you don't necessarily identify with Simon in the story because you know you need grace. You don't identify with Jesus because you know you're not perfect. You identify with that woman. And your life feels so broken because of the decisions you've made. Because of what happened with your marriage. Because of what you're walking through with your family. The addiction that you're dealing with. And you're like, I feel like that woman and I'm down on my face. And let me tell you this, if that's you. You've got the best seat in the house. At the feet of Jesus. Today, Jesus wants you to know that he's got grace for you. He loves you more than you think he does. He believes in you more than you think he does. And there are better days in front of you if you'll just stay at the feet of Jesus. Give him your all, give him everything. Follow him, choose to make him the Lord of your life. He'll take you places you've never even dreamed before, amen? Come on, why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we love you so much. And we just thank you for your grace. Your grace is so scandalous. It's so, it's so audacious. It makes no sense. Your grace is us giving you, you giving us what we don't deserve and your mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. And all of that is because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can have grace. We can have a fresh start. We can have a new beginning. So Lord, we thank you for that today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your radical acceptance of us. Hey, if today you say, Jason, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to give him my life today. The Bible just says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, that they'll be saved. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. If that's you today, you say, Jason, I don't have a relationship with God. I I need it though. I need a fresh start today. I need a new beginning today. Listen, it's so simple. Just Just trust him with your life and say this to him. Say, Jesus, today, I give you my life. I lay my life down at your feet. I surrender all of my life to you. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you give me a fresh start at a new beginning? I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for joining us for the Brave Church podcast. If this ministry is impacting you, please consider giving to support what God is doing through our church. For questions or to get connected, please visit brave.church. We'll see you next week.